What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Beast Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer, your host here in the early morning hours of Friday, June 24th. Recording this bad boy before I go to bed. Cardinals did not get it done on Thursday afternoon against the Brewers, did they? 6-4, the Cardinals come away losers in this one. That means a good old-fashioned tie between the Cardinals and Brewers. The split of the four-game series, two games aside. Cardinals had this opportunity to take that two-game lead in the NL Central. Instead, you lose the game, didn't get a great start from Dakota Hudson, and as a result, you end up right back where you started when the series with Milwaukee began. Not a bad thing to be tied for first place in the division, but when you had the chance to go up a couple of games, you don't get too many of those opportunities against the team that you're going to be vying with for the division. Cardinals don't see the Brewers again until August, and they've already used up quite a bit of their games on the schedule against Milwaukee, and each series against the Brewers has seemingly gone the same way. Cardinals, in each of them, had a chance to move ahead, but then drop the finale, and so I believe it's an even-steven on the season, that all rhymed, with the Brewers through 12 games. They've already played Milwaukee now 12 times. There's only seven games remaining. You get a three-gamer in August, and then a couple two-gamers down the stretch of the season. I hate the two-game series, by the way, especially between divisional opponents, but all the series that they've had, they continue to be these four-gamers, and I guess you play everybody 19 times. That'll change next year with the more balanced scheduling. If you haven't heard about that, it's basically going to decrease the number of divisional games played. You'll still see divisional opponents, I want to say, like a dozen times a year, but not nearly as often as you do under the current structure, but they want to make it so that every team plays every team every year. And then, and I do think this is kind of cool. So the Cardinals will end up going to every ballpark within a two-year span. So the American League teams that you play at home, the one year you'll get to go to their place the next year. And so at a minimum, you'll be, it'll take two years and you'll get to go everywhere, which I think is actually kind of cool for fans, cool for players to experience different ballparks. But I do like the divisional aspect of it as well, just the fact that you're playing for a division title against these other four teams, and so you should play them very often, frequently, to sort of parse it out and determine who the best team in the division is. But when you sit back and look at it and say, well, and if you compare it to other sports, the fact that 19 times a year you're playing these four teams, you multiply the 19 by four, you get 76, close to 80 games. It's nearly half your schedule against the same four teams. That's not really something they do in other sports. In the NFL, 17 games, you play everybody twice in your division, but that's still a much smaller percentage. And so I guess it'll end up more proportional. And when you also consider the fact that divisions don't actually mean all that much anymore, at least in the vacuum of, uh, you know, you could end up winning your division and still basically being in the wild card round. They've kind of gone the way the old NFL schedule was until they expanded to 14 teams for the playoffs. Now it's 12 in Major League Baseball for the first time this year, and so you'll see two division winners from each league get a bye into the next round of the playoffs, whereas the other four teams involved, seeds three, four, five, and six, will have to play each other in a three-game kind of extra wild card series. And so if you're not one of the top two division winners, and right now if you look at the NL East, the Mets are ahead of the Braves by four games. They've got a 634 win percentage. 
at 45 and 26. You look over in the West, the Dodgers and the Padres are fighting it out. Los Angeles is 43 and 25. The Padres are 44 and 28, a game behind, 21 percentage points behind. Both those teams, or I should say both those divisions, the leader in the division is pretty handily ahead of the Cardinals right now. Cardinals and Brewers at 40 and 32 after the conclusion of Thursday's series. And so if you're looking ahead, yeah, it would be great to see the Cardinals win the division, but it's looking pretty unlikely that even if they do, they'll escape that extra three-game series wildcard round. It's a best of three, I should say. The benefit of winning the Central would be you get to have that series at home. All three games, if necessary, would be played in the same ballpark. No travel day for that that newfangled series they're coming up with. But right now, the Cardinals five and a half games behind the Mets. And not as bad, actually, against the Dodgers. They're three behind in the win column, seven behind in the loss column. They've played a disparate number of games. Cardinals have played 72 games, Dodgers 78. I'm sorry, 68. So that's a four-game difference, which is why you come up with a weird number. But they're about five games behind the Dodgers. So that's a, a, a decent amount to where, sure, it can be made up. But I think the Dodgers and the Mets are both better than the Cardinals and the Brewers at this point. And so we talk about this division. It is important for the Cardinals to be able to win it but maybe not as important as it was in years past. Unless you're going to be the top two team in the, I almost called it a conference, and that's kind of what they're making it feel like with the way they're changing things up. Unless you're going to be top two in the National League, one of the top two division winners, I have to say, because a wildcard team that has a better record than somebody else is still going to have to get pushed down. If you if you don't win your division, from that perspective, it matters. For the, the Dodgers and Padres, it absolutely does matter. Both those teams are better than anybody in the Central right now, but only one of them will get the the quote-unquote buy into the next round. The loser of that battle in the West between the Dodgers and San Diego will have to play that three-game series. And very possibly, they'll have to play it against the Cardinals or Brewers, the winner of the NL Central. So, yes, it'd be nice to think that the Cardinals winning the division, they end up advancing, but I think you're going to need, honestly, you're going to need multiple trades, I think, to get to that point. The offense could maybe buoy itself if it gets healthy. If you get Tyler O'Neill back and back averaging that 900 OPS that he had a couple of weeks in June before he got injured again with a hamstring issue, that adds to your lineup. We'll talk about today's game. Nolan Arenado on Thursday had another nice day. He's hitting the ball hard. That's good to see. OPS up to 866 for him was two for four. A little bit of bad luck that he didn't drive in any runs or score any runs, but did have a double, actually a pair of doubles. Both of his hits were doubles. And he hit the ball well. The one that he hit to left center, I really thought was going to go out. If it had, it would have scored Goldschmidt. He had gotten on base in front of Nolan, and that would have been two more runs, and that probably the Cardinals could have used because they are down uh, for the count in this one. Six to four, they lose to the Milwaukee Brewers. So we'll get into the offense a little bit. They had a, a nice day when you consider the guys in the middle of the order. They had Nolan Gorman batting second. He had a nice day, two for four with a run scored. Goldschmidt, one for two, two runs scored, reached base via walk twice. So he was once again on base three times. OPS just continues to climb. It's so crazy that you look at Paul Goldschmidt's numbers. He's now had a batting average of 340 on the season, which is I got to be near the top of the National League. I haven't looked recently, but he was leading the batting title about a week ago when I last checked that standings board. OPS of 1,048. That is pretty handily above 
a thousand at this point. And a thousand's really, really good. Like really, really good. And the fact that he keeps he's doing this and then it just keeps going up. It's not like he is tapering off. Yesterday his OPS was one thousand forty one. Ten forty one. Now it's ten forty eight. It's actually going up. He's continuing to do the ridiculous things that he's done. And no end in sight. Like he had the little flare up with the back issue. We were worried about what that might do to his game offensively. Nope, hasn't mattered. Still got the plate discipline to reach base twice. Homered his first game back from from the back issue, so that wasn't a problem. It's been ridiculously impressive. 1048 leads the National League in OPS, by the way. If you didn't know. Bryce Harper's the only other guy above 1,000 at 10.02. I'm telling you, right now, the MVP race is not even a race. It's Paul Goldschmidt turning around and waving at everybody else because that's how far ahead he is. Batting average, 340. Machado is second in the league at 328. On-base percentage, three or pardon me, 423 for Goldie. Machado's second at 400, even on the dot. Slugging percentage. You think, well, Paul Goldschmidt, he gets on base a lot, but has he really been a slugger? I know he doesn't have as many homers as Alonzo. He hits a lot of doubles, though, too. Slugging 625. Alonzo's is just 552. Bryce Harper now in second at 612. So, again, Goldsmith leading in average, OBP, and slug. We talked about why RBIs, is, or that's not a statistic that should be a disqualification for Goldie as the MVP. He is still behind Pete Alonzo, 66 to 61. But, man, you think about 61 RBIs. The Cardinals have only played, what did I say their record was, 40 and 32? That's 72 games. So, we're still a good chunk away from halfway. That's still nine games to go before you get to the halfway point. And uh, Goldie already at 61. That's a pace of about 125-ish, maybe even a, a touch more than that. That's a ridiculous RBI pace. But he's been earning it. 17 home runs as well. Three behind Alonzo. You know, home runs are what they are. Christian Walker for Arizona is up to 19. Austin Riley's got 18. Kyle Schwarber, 20. He's turned it on recently. None of those guys are even close, though, in the RBI category. Goldie's tied there with uh, Mookie Betts and C.J. Crone of Colorado. But he's just, I mean, you look at those ratio stats, nobody's even remotely in his league, at least in the National League. Jordan Alvarez is having a ridiculous season in the American League. Love to see that guy win a Cy, uh, not a Cy Young. That would be something. No, I'd love to see him win an MVP over in the AL. It'll probably be Aaron Judge, though. Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Mike Trout, Jose Ramirez are the four guys with a OPS above 1,000 in the American League. Jordan is a DH, though, primarily, so I don't know if they'll dock him for that. Aaron Judge's home run numbers are just ridiculous, too. He's got 27 home runs on the year. So for Judge, if he hits 55 bombs or something, I don't see anyway, just because of the name value. That'll be really funny, though, to watch between Yankees fans and Astros fans at the end of the year because we already know the rivalry between those two teams and particularly their fan bases. If you follow a smattering of both on social media like I do, it can be really funny to watch because of the whole, uh, well, you know, Jose Altuve wore a buzzer is what the Yankees fans think with a whole, uh, you know, trash can banging ordeal that the Yankees feel uh, they were robbed of a World Series because of that. So that's your little update. That was kind of an impromptu update on uh, some MVP races and what, what different guys are doing. Goldie's the guy, though, in the National League. He was the guy again today for the Cardinals. Like I said, on base three times. 
between him, Gorman, and Arenado, two, three, four in the lineup. Gorman, Goldie, Arenado was the order of that, by the way. Between those three guys, five hits, three runs scored, on base total of seven times. Pretty impressive. Rest of the lineup, a lot of goose eggs. Uh, it's good when you can trust the middle of the order to do their job. You get a little concerned, though, when the rest of the guys don't do it, do theirs as well. But I will say Lars Newpar was the one exception. Outside of the 2-3-4 in the lineup, nobody else got a hit except for Newt. And he went two for three and hit a bomb, baby. Home run to right field, nuded the crap out of it. It was really just a line drive, but it got out of the park in about a half a second. It was good to see Newpar get into one. He's only hitting 169 in his MLB at-bats for the season. A low OPS of 547. And I, I like Lars Newpar. He's a fun player. But I think it's a deal where it's like the chicken or the egg. Are you going to give a guy playing time in hopes that he can turn it on offensively? Or when you're giving the guy playing time and he's not succeeding, how long can you continue to do it? How long can you continue to justify it? So to me, it was good to see Newt Barr getting a start today, actually able to get something going offensively. We'll see what it looks like over the weekend for him. Uh, you know, you look at different guys. Brendan Donovan's numbers have come down a little bit. Another offer for him today. 0 for 3, batting average down to 310, OPS down to 837. Still very good numbers, but he's gone into a little bit of a funk, I think, recently. Still want to give him playing time because you know what he's capable of, but it's just a little bit of a juggling situation right now for Ali Marmol at the bottom of the lineup. Yepes had an 0 for Carlson, 0 for a couple, couple of strikeouts there. Herrera still does not have that first major league hit. And you looked at his numbers in the minor leagues, Ivan Herrera, the catcher, split in time right now with Andrew Kisner, but Kisner has been the the primary guy. But Herrera, still no big league hit. An 0 for 2 today. I can check real quick. He hasn't gotten a ton of at-bats as of yet. Just five at-bats, it looks like. And so, I don't know what kind of offensive player he'll be, but four strikeouts and five at-bats. At Memphis, 824 OPS. That'll absolutely play but he just hasn't been able to replicate that at this level. And I don't know. I mean, it was easy to say, well, they got to give him more time because Kisner hasn't been performing offensively, which has been true. Andrew Kisner struggled. But I just don't know if Herrera, and, and really it's hard to ask a catcher to be a big offensive producer. That's why guys like Salvador Perez, when they do it, and Yachty back when he was in his prime, it's just like, wow, it's it's just amazing to see a guy handle all the pitchers and perform well in that regard defensively but then be a main offensive contributor. That's why the, the RBI knack that Yachty has always possessed has been so impressive. But you're seeing Kisner struggle, and, and like I said, Herrera has four strikeouts and five at-bats right now. He may not be ready for the, the offensive aspect of what it takes to play at this level, but I still think you know one of the top prospects for the Cardinals, he's got upside. I still think it's good to go ahead and get him into games and, and see, what he's, see what he's made of for right now, but at least... You're getting good production from the Gorman, Goldsmith, Arenado there in the middle of the order. I liked it that they gave Gorman a chance to play against the lefty. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, today, back up in the lineup because it was a right-handed pitcher on the mound, Jason Alexander for the Brewers. Cardinals didn't really get enough done against him, in my opinion. It's kind of tricky when you see a guy with with pretty good numbers. Came into this game with an ERA of like two and a half. Hadn't pitched a whole lot, but he's 29 years old. Sort of one of those journeyman types that hasn't uh, really gotten a, got it going, gotten a chance in his major league career, finally getting the call up this year and, and doing pretty well with it. And I say that they didn't do enough. They scored four runs. But when you look at the six hits allowed, the two walks, it's eight base runners. 
You'd like to be able to do a little bit more, I think, than that. Again, against a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of major league experience. But the four runs, that'll play. But then it's like, can you get something done against the bullpen? You're going to need to to support Dakota Hudson and the kind of start that he had in this one. But the bullpen for the Brewers was really good. They typically are, though. That's kind of the thing. Boxberger, Devin Williams, Hader, that's a good that's a good trio. Cardinals got their back in trio. The Brewers have theirs, and, and these guys have really good numbers. Williams and Boxberger, ERA in the 2.2 range. Hader, 0.83. It's not Ryan Helsley territory for Josh Hader, but he's this guy's been doing it for about five years now, just been absolutely lights out. He's unhittable. And that's been the case pretty much anytime he's faced the Cardinals. He's mowed him down. Kind of reminds you of, uh, who's that guy that the Reds had for a while? That Oh, Chapman, Roldis Chapman. Cardinals absolutely couldn't touch that guy. Josh Hader is kind of the modern-day version of that within the NL Central. But Dakota Hudson, ah, it wasn't his day. You would have liked to have seen more from him. And it's a little frustrating because when he's on, it's just like everything makes sense. All is right in the world when Dakota Hudson is is pitching well. When he's not, it just turns into this, I don't know, like I am feel like I can be a pretty objective person about the players and about my opinions on them, let the numbers do the talking. But with Hudson, it's just like I find myself having more of an emotional reaction when he does poorly than almost any other starter in the rotation. I will admit I'm getting there with Flaherty. Like, it was frustrating watching him walk five guys the other day. But you have to recognize he's coming off of an injury, has not had that ability to just pitch every five days, hasn't been healthy enough. And so that rhythm is kind of lost for Jack Flaherty right now. I know a lot of fans aren't giving Flaherty a pass. I'm trying to. I do recognize there's got to be some sort of improvement there or you got to start to ask what we're doing here. But I think Jack Flaherty is going to be okay. He's too talented not to be okay. But when I look at Dakota Hudson, I'm like, dude, when he's getting his ground balls and establishing weak contact and he's so efficient because, I mean, the pitches are in the strike zone, so guys are going to swing, but they get themselves out when Dakota Hudson is going well. But when he's pitching like he did today, the hallmarks are not as good of command, so you're going to walk, guys. Three walks. That Check that box from today. Some of the contact is hard contact. You look at the expected batting average of the a lot of the hits that the Brewers got off of him today, they're pretty high. You know, there are going to be times where you hit into or the opposition hits into some bad luck against Dakota Hudson, makes him look better than he is, and there are going to be some times where they get good luck. They put balls in play, and the balls find holes, and he ends up giving up seven, eight, nine, ten hits, and that honestly makes him look worse than he is. The last time that that happened, he gave up, I don't know, eight or nine hits, I can recall, and I don't look at FIP fielding independent pitching a whole lot, but it's basically what a pitcher essentially deserves in terms of runs allowed and, and taking away the defense to determine that number. Looks at your strikeouts, your walks, home runs. It gives you, independent of fielding, what is a guy inclined to do? And I remember the last time Hudson had like an eight or nine hit allowed kind of start. He actually, his FIP went down because you're looking at some of the other metrics, and, and that comes up with how you determine FIP. So on that day, you'd say, oh, he wasn't lucky. You know, he just had bad luck where balls were finding holes. Today, you look at the numbers, they were hitting balls pretty hard against Dakota Hudson. Seven hits, check that box. Only two strikeouts, you don't care about that with Hudson. It's almost better that he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts because there are games where he throws 95 pitches and can get through seven or eight innings because he's so efficient with guys getting themselves out early in counts. But if you're walking guys, if you're getting behind in counts, today he threw 53 strikes, only 35 balls, so that's a decent ratio, 88 pitches in total. 
but the two home runs. That's the other hallmark. When when they're hitting balls hard against you and it's not always on the ground, that'll be something you have to pay for. Two home runs allowed. That leads to a four and a third innings pitched. Five earned runs allowed by Hudson. Can't give away the free passes, not with the way that he plays. And I know that after the game, I saw the video on the Bally uh, post game they posted on their Twitter where he said, yeah, it was just if I got that one pitch back, that bad pitch where he gave up a three-run homer in the uh, fourth inning to Milwaukee. He says, if I get that, if I can have that one pitch back, you know, bad pitch to Tyrone Taylor, ends up being a three-run shot, that sort of turns the game on its head a little bit. Cardinals had the lead at that point, four to, or pardon me, two to one. Then they're down four to two. From there, they never saw the lead again. The Brewers tacked on a little bit against the bullpen late. Talk about Drew Verhagen a little bit in that context, but it's just really hard if you're Dakota Hudson to have success when you're giving up hard contact and walking guys. You can't expect to always get yourself bailed out of it with a double play. He did early in the game. Bases were loaded, one out, he got a double play, and it was like, all right, there's your Dakota Hudson Houdini act, but you can't expect to do it every inning. It's not a way to live. It's not, it's, it's, you're living on the edge at that point. So dangerous. And uh, he ends up getting burned by that because of the home run in the fourth inning there. Gives up five for the day. Couldn't get through five innings. That's something that we should make sure we mark notice of because Adam Wainwright actually did the same thing last night. Didn't get through five innings. You saw Johan Oviedo come out of the bullpen, able to save him in that game. Cardinals doing enough offensively. They get that win. And Oviedo was really good, really sharp. Can't have him every day, though, right? He went two and a third yesterday. Whose job was it then today to step up when Dakota Hudson doesn't go very deep? Brings me right in to get to talk about Junior Fernandez right now. We haven't really seen him hardly all year. In the one and two-thirds innings pitch that he had today, only uh, his second game of the season, looks like, if MLB is updating properly. First time, had a couple innings, didn't give up a run. Today, same thing. Inning and two-thirds, one walk, no hits, two strikeouts, really, really good. That, that can play. The only reason Junior is here right now is because of T.J. McFarland going on the COVID list or the, the injured list without designation, but we know it's COVID. That's the only reason that he's here right now. Cardinals weren't really in a rush to call him up. It didn't seem like he's always sort of been the last option. I think one time he got called up, but he didn't even get to pitch. They sent him back down. I like that Ollie Marmel is involving these guys now when they come up saying, hey, we don't have to adhere to what we thought our bullpen was or was supposed to be. Let's go ahead and, and find a new look for this bullpen and see what can work. Junior Fernandez absolutely is a guy who can pitch himself into a role and pitch himself into staying on this roster. If TJ McFarland comes back and he's healthy from COVID, but you've seen two good outings from Junior Fernandez at that point, you're looking the direction of Verhagen, you're looking the direction of Whitgren, and it might be Drew Verhagen in particular, which is tough. I'm trying to think back. Did they give him a two-year contract? Because that would definitely that would definitely play into the decision of what you can do. Yeah, they sure as hell did. That's tricky, folks. It's not a Ty Wigginton. It's not like people talk about Corey Dickerson and you can let him go. You can DFA a guy. Can't exactly do that with Verhagen. I mean, you can, but they signed him to a two-year deal. So that'll make him much less likely to do it. Two years, $5.5 million, 2.75 per year. That's not a ton. But at the same time, it's not nothing. And if you've got that on the books already for next year, are you going to be inclined to say, yep, guys got to go? I don't think they are, and that can be a little bit tricky. Today he was not good. 
He was the reliever that gave up runs. I mentioned Fernandez was good, inning and two-thirds. He walked the guy. That's his one element that you do have to watch out for a little bit with Junior Fernandez. I think it's why he wasn't getting called up by the Cardinals. I mean, his ERA in Memphis this year wasn't good either. He has a pitch well. 5.13 ERA. Not what you want to see. The walks piling up a little bit. 10 walks in 26 innings. So that's not drastically bad, but it's not good. You don't want to be walking a guy basically every other inning. That's not that's not the way to have success at the major league level for sure. And so they weren't really rushing to call him up, but I think based on who had pitched recently with Memphis, McFarland happens to get COVID, and you're like, well, we got to gotta call up somebody. They do, and Junior shows really well in that outing. And so for me, I think Junior Fernandez is a guy at this point that, what is he, 25 years old? He's been around the block a little bit. Yeah, 25. And he's dipped his toe into the waters for the Cardinals the last few years without very much success at all. But the guy throws 100. And at some point, a guy is either going to do it or he's not. I'd like to see Junior stay on the roster. Like, work himself out of a job if he ends up walking too many guys and it doesn't work. But it's almost like with Oviedo. Oviedo's done this. He was 20-20, 20-21. He's going back and forth, getting called up, going back down. That probably wears on a guy at, at some certain point. And for Oviedo, I think the answer was, hey, let's move you to the bullpen and see what that looks like. So far, the answer is really, really good for Johan Oviedo. Couldn't do it as a starter, looking better as a reliever. For Fernandez, he's always been a reliever. They changed him to that years ago. He became the closer in Springfield. And so he's in that relief role regardless. But it's almost like with what they tried to do for Flaherty, when could he have used another rehab assignment in Memphis? Sure. But do they want to have him up the intensity and see what that looked like? They did. Well, sometimes it can, you know, pressure makes a diamond. Bring him up, Junior Fernandez, let him pitch, see what he can do. And if he pitches well, 100 is going to play. If he finds his command, 100 is going to play. His fastball averages 99.2. I don't think I realized he threw quite that hard. I knew he was a hard thrower, but that's pretty good. If that guy's your guy in the fifth or sixth inning, you like that. That's good to have on your roster, good to have in your bullpen. So give Junior that chance. So far, so good. I want to see him again before he gets optioned out. I don't want him to get optioned out, which isn't to say I want TJ McFarland to keep having COVID. I want him to be healthy, but I think they need to give Junior one more outing before that happens. 20 pitches today, so probably not available for Friday, but by Saturday, absolutely. And uh, I'm interested to see what he can do because if he and Oviedo can be guys from the right side, you may have just solved your whole bullpen thing. Off the top, I was talking about the division and whether or not the Cardinals or the Brewers, really, anybody from the Central could surpass either the Dodgers out in the West, which could be the Padres as well, depending on who wins that division, or could surpass the Mets in record so they can get that second, like the number two seed out of the NL, so you don't have to play that three-game series. It would be like an automatic buy into the five-game series of the NLDS. I think trades are the only way that's going to happen, trading for bullpen guys. The offense has been pretty good. The rotation, uh, you can see what the weak spots maybe are, but I think those have still a chance to develop into something good. Like Dakota Hudson, I still think he can get it on track. Again, 3.72 ZRA for him for the season after a bad game. If that's your number five starter, your number four starter, you're cool with it. Wainwright, another not-so-great start yesterday, but I, I still think he's on the right path. He's Adam Wainwright. He's going to be okay. See what Flaherty does. Michaelis has been fantastic. I like what Polante's bringing, et cetera, et cetera. But the area where I could see room for improvement, and Junior Fernandez could pr- prove me wrong on that, but it's the bullpen still. 
and even if you go Oviedo Fernandez and they both look good, and even if you bring Jordan Hicks in, instead of making him a starter, he could be one of those one or two inning guys. One and a third, two and a third. Bring him in for those important situations, close games where your starter doesn't go deep, or maybe you don't have your main relievers available, and so that's a night where you got to use one of those guys. Like, Hicks was a closer. I think you're happy to have him on the mound when his stuff is playing. Another guy who throws 100. So, like, if you had all three of those right-handers, Hicks, Oviedo, and Junior Fernandez pitching really well, okay, maybe you don't need a trade, but I still want to see the Cardinals trade for a bona fide closer. Not because Helsley's a bad one. He's been as good as it gets, honestly. His ERA is like 0.3. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But you just need more of them. Look at what the Brewers have. They've got three that you really, really like. I think Cabby I really like. I like Geo. I like... You just want more. You just want to get a little greedy when it comes to that. And I think that's an area that the Cardinals could continue to pursue in terms of a trade over the next month. But for now... Zach Thompson looked good today out of the bullpen. Did give up a walk, but a scoreless inning. Mentioned for Hagen just being bad. Two walks, a base hit, and an earned run. Zero innings pitch. He did not record an out. Faced three batters. They all got on. Nick Whitgren came out, did a good job, got the scoreless inning, got out of the Verhagen jam as well. And so I don't know what it looks like. I don't think you're going to want to get rid of Whitgren necessarily because he, you know, he did his job today. And I still think he's been better than Verhagen on the season. But, man, it's a bummer that Drew Verhagen is pitching as poorly as he has with a two-year contract. I don't really know what that's going to end up looking like. But on the whole, main takeaway, Cardinals lose it 6-4. to four. You're tied for the division lead. And now you get an opportunity to really, I think, beat up on some lesser teams. It's, got, it's, going, to, it's going to need to be a big homestand for the Cardinals, in my opinion. Because you're facing the Cubs for the weekend. And then you get to the Miami Marlins. They're coming into town. They've played better baseball this year, 32-36 and 36 now, their record, only four games under. But they're still the Marlins, still a team you can take advantage of. You'll probably see Sandy Alcantara. Seems like they always do. So that's a game you probably lose. But I think you take two or three from the Marlins and at a minimum two or three from the Cubs. The Cubs were really, really bad, folks, like really bad. I know Cardinals-Cubs always ends up being a, you know, with that rivalry, anything can happen no matter how bad the, the Cubs are. Beat up on the Cubs like they're as bad as they are this weekend. That's the key for the Cardinals. Don't sweat splitting against the Brewers. You did what you needed to do. That was the minimum. Cardinals have a really good record this year at home, 21-13. and 13. They're playing old 500 on the road. You got to get better at that, but go ahead now and take advantage of some bad teams at home for a team that's got one of the better home records in the National League. The Mets are on top at 24-10. and 10. That's the best percentage. But then after that, I think it's the, the Cardinals and Dodgers. Dodgers are 20 and 12. Cardinals are 21 and 13. That's basically a percentage points different. The, the Braves are pretty good too, but the Cardinals have them by percentage points. So one of the better home teams in the National League, good home environment. It's the Cubs over the weekend. It's going to be a good time at Bush, of course, when the Chicago Cubs are coming into town. They're 26 and 44 on the season, folks. 13 and 19 on the road. Lost seven of their last 10. Cardinals need to at least win this series. I think a sweep would be appropriate. And then two of three from the Marlins. Four out of six is the absolute necessity, in my opinion, for what the Cardinals are about to embark upon when they welcome these two teams into town. Brewers, meanwhile, have it a little tougher. They got to go play the Toronto Blue Jays and then the Tampa Bay Rays. Two very good teams at the AL East. And so I think the Cardinals could end up with a, a, a little cushion six days from now if they can take care of business against these two teams and the Brewers maybe struggle a little bit. 
So that should be the expectation. We'll see if it ends up coming to fruition over the weekend at Bush Stadium. That's where it starts. Like I said, the Cubs aren't in last in the division, but they are bad. The Reds are just worse. You can't control that. Just an absolutely fascinating pitching matchup on tap for Friday. Kyle Hendricks has always been tough on the Cardinals, but this year it looks like it's finally he's finally kind of wearing down maybe in terms of his major league career. He's not that old. I know that because I've I've made the mistake before of assuming that Kyle Hendricks was like 100 years old, and then I looked it up and found out he wasn't. He's only 32. But doesn't it feel like he's been around for like 10 years tormenting the Cardinals? He always does. Maybe he has been around that long, though. When did he start with the Cubs? Give me a second. Give me a second. I'll have it. 2014, so that's, I mean, pretty close. What is that, eight years, nine years, and he's been with the Cubs the entire time? It just, he he pitched like an old man from the very beginning of his career, but I'll be damned if it doesn't work for him. Nine years later, he's still doing it. But his ERA is five and a half this year. Cardinals get Andre Pallante on the hill. He's got a 1.69 ERA. I would normally say that should be an advantage for the Cardinals, that pitching matchup, but it is Hendricks. And so you just never do know. Saturday, it's Michaelis against TBD. Cubs have not announced their starter. And then Flaherty against some guy named Swarmer. Kyle Swarma? Matt Swarmer. Swarmer? I keep wanting to say Swarmer like Schwerber, but it's Swarmer. Anyway, his ERA is almost six. So Cardinals have absolute pitching advantage in each of these games over the weekend. Even though it's Kyle Hendricks, Palante's pitching much better this season. Don't fall victim to the Hendricks thing. Beat the crap out of his hittable pitches. Don't let him do his Kyle Hendricks magic on you. You win Friday. Michaelis, it doesn't matter who they throw on Saturday. Michaelis is going to be the advantage there. And I like to think Jack Flaherty can be an advantage on Sunday. That's going to be a really interesting one to watch. But we'll have to wait and see the way it unfolds. I'll be back, though, with B-Shape Daily breaking down the games. I am going to Friday's game. Going to cover that one. And so any podcast would be pretty late in the night the way this one's coming through on your feed. So make sure you subscribe though. Be safe daily. Appreciate y'all who have been listening in recent days. Podcast numbers have gone up a little bit. People listening, that makes me happy. Uh, But it may be the fact that two episodes ago, we talked Nolan Gorman going absolutely insane. Four for four. And then Johan Oviedo yesterday getting his first major league win. So that was pretty cool to see as well. But uh, if you haven't listened to those episodes, uh, go back and do it. There's some good stuff in there. We're talking a lot of bullpen lately. It's just really fun to see how this bullpen is starting to develop for the Cardinals. It had been really, really bad. It had been a problem. It's starting to get there. It's starting to turn the corner now that they're giving some of these younger guys these opportunities. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!